But why would he do it? Why, why allow himself to be killed if, if he really is the, the son of God? The answer to that is what got me out of the dirt and into the church. It's really very simple. Love. Why not use his power to defend himself? It's really very simple. Love. Welcome back to the Don't Knock It podcast, where we address misconceptions about Jesus' character, his church, and his word. By doing this, we hope to encourage you to delight in Christ before dismissing him, to know him before knocking him. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez, and we will be continuing our chapter-by-chapter overview through 1 Corinthians and joining me to address the topic of love, an episode I called Love, the Greatest Gift. I have one of my best friends, newlywed, Adam Tarasas. How are you, bro? I'm good happy to be here dude i'm so glad we're finally finishing this episode because for those of you i mean none of you know but we started this episode a couple weeks ago and then we had to go to our young adults bible study and it just was cut short there were a lot of distractions and we were just i i wasn't in my proper headspace because i knew that i had that deadline to like go to the young adults and so i just i wasn't in my right frame of mind to to have a a good conversation yeah like i was just thinking about the the clock and and i it kind of threw me off but we have no timeline to stick to this time and it was still a good conversation yeah it was i was uh blessed by our conversation but it just it was cut short it was incomplete yeah 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 and i thought about just like continuing from where we left off and seeing where the Lord led. But I think it's it's good to have reflected on what we talked about and then kind of bring the new things that we meditated on since then, like into the conversation. So one thing that I did want to um, like start with before we get into the text and before we get into the intro to First Corinthians uh, as a letter, um, how did you feel like approach when I when I asked you to do this, like when I asked you to address for, uh, chapter thirteen with me, like what was the initial like response? Uh, I f- I felt very small, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, which I do feel small when I think of just how how great God is um, and how much how much there is in the vastness of God's mystery that we just don't know. But um, when you talk about a topic like love and God's love for us, it made me feel really small. Like, uh, almost like, who am I to... <laughs> Time for class. I gotta go to class. <laughs> I thought, who am I to to speak on behalf of and define uh what God's true love is and his true heart for us. Mm-hmm. And obviously I had to cast that uh, thought out of my head because we are God's spokespeople. We are his, we are the tools in the hand of the master. We are those who are his image bearers, his ambassadors, the reflectors of his light. So yeah, there is a humility and almost like a, I'm not worthy, but God I want to honor God to be able to talk about things like this. So the best I can do is ask God's spirit to 
to be here, which we prayed before this, just for him to lead the way, mm-hmm. uh, because I don't want it to be any of any of my. Uh, I don't want to get in the way of uh, God's true heart and His true, magnificent love for us. Yeah, yeah. I remember pulling up to your place uh, to record the the first time, and I could just tell that you weren't. You, it's not that you didn't want to, but everything that you just explained now, I could see on your face. Like you had this demeanor of like intimidated, dude. I I'm not worthy. You know, I'm not worthy. Like to and i'm intimidated to like expound on the vastness of god god's love because usually when i when i ask someone to address a particular topic in a particular episode with me or this there's this expectation that comes with the question where i'm assuming that you're an expert in it Mm. right like i asked you to help me unpack chapter 13 and when, when you realized what the chapter was on, it was like, well, why are you asking me? Like, you should be asking someone who's, <laughs> who's been married for, you know, decades or yeah. is a pastor or whoever it may be, like someone who should be an expert in this, yeah. not me. Yeah. And I, and I remember, if you don't mind, I'm going to share this. I remember when we, when we sat down to talk about it, like before we pressed record, I told you, like, if, if we as believers, those who have been shown the greatest love, love of all, and we're supposed to impart that to other people. Yeah. And we don't feel, and we don't feel right talking about it or having any sort of confidence in it. Then if we can't talk about it, then who can? Right. Right. We are the ones who have been, who have received the outpouring of God's love in his son and are identified with him now trying to live like it, if we can't talk about that love and share stories about how we've succeeded or how God has redeemed some of our faults, then no one can. Like, it's almost like we're a living, breathing testimony of the love that is possible. Right. What I saw on your face, that like, almost like that, that, that humility, which is great, but I, I really tried my best to encourage you to to embrace the love that God has shown you yeah. and the love that he has entrusted you to impart to others. Yeah. And it's endless. Yeah. And it's and it's endless. Like as we we'll probably get to it at the end but it it will never fail. It's the it's the only thing that will continue into glory, like into heaven. All the rest of the gifts will cease but love will continue on forever because that's our fellowship. That's how we fellowship. Like we fellowship by loving one another and that's going to continue when we're in heaven with love embodied. Yes. Like in the person of, of Jesus Christ. So just wanted to clue you in on, on what this whole like process has been like as we're trying to wrestle with this incredible concept of god's love and how we are commanded to imitate him and how we love others Mm. so as we kind of go into further into the conversation paul writes this letter explaining church 101 he received some reports from chloe and her household basically saying that the church isn't doing what the church is supposed to do and the way that i split up this chapter or this letter is in three parts 
chapters one through four, Paul is addressing uh, conflict. They're saying that, that that basically they're causing factions within the church body. One person is saying they're of Apollos, one another of Paul, of Peter, of Jesus, and so they're just they're they're clashing heads uh, because they're causing divisions. And so there's conflict, and he addresses that in chapters one through four. In chapters five and six, he addresses corruption. So he addresses specific sins that are infiltrating the church and are basically rotting it from the inside out. And so he he corrects them in chapters five and six with. Um, he corrects their corruption, and then chapters 7 through 16, the rest of the letter, where he answers the confusion that they may have about several things that, that go on within the church, mm. uh, some of it being worship, marriage, head coverings, uh, the spiritual gifts, which is, which is what we're in the middle of right now. And he begins that conversation in chapter 12, where Paul talks about like the essence of spiritual gifts. What are they for? And then in chapter 14, he kind of, go, he finishes that conversation by explaining like how to use them. This is how you properly, properly use them. And in the middle, smack dab in the middle, kind of like a rebuke sandwich, he, he takes some time to talk about love, the greatest gift. And so as we begin there, would you mind reading uh, chapter 13 in its entirety? If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I responded like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Bro. I almost stopped short there. No, <laughs> Where, at verse seven? Yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's begin with the first three verses where Paul makes a comparison between what you would have having these spiritual gifts, right? You got the faith, the gift of faith, so much so that you can remove mountains, right? And then, and then the gift of prophecy, the the knowledge of mysteries and and all of the things that pertain to god and then paul says like if if i have all of those things and don't have love then they mean nothing and that's so contrary to what we try to 
be in society. Like we want all of the accolades. We want all of the, even as Christians, there's a sense of recognition, not just in the church, but in the world for accomplishments. Yeah. Right. There's that, there's an honor there. There's a giving of a medal. There's a giving of, of an award at the end of the year. There's so many things like conferences, whatever it may be, where a person is deserving of a particular award or recognition for a variety of reasons. And there are a lot of people who aspire to that. But why not be recognized for the love that we have for one another? Hmm. Well, I would say that naturally we're selfish just from this. Like we were just reading in Ephesians, we were once darkness, which is very self it's just a self-seeking nature. This before we were saved, we we sought the things of the world for our own pleasure. Because there doesn't seem to the one who doesn't know love as sacrifice, which is agape love. It seems to be that the life of self-seeking pleasure, um, materialism, that these things are the storing up, right? Mm -hmm. It seems to be the highest achievable thing that you can do as a human being, Yeah, which is ultimately a lie of the enemy. And so, we hear often, you know, don't expect people who don't know God to act like they don't know God. It's not surprising and I don't blame somebody who doesn't know what the true love of Christ is to want to to be recognized, to win the award, to uh, be the best that they could be, right? Mm-hmm. But when we see uh, the Christian whose heart's been changed and they seek after after being recognized for their love, it's actually... Uh, a receiving that that bounces off you to God. It, right. It's not like you it's not like you hold on to the recognition. You do that for the glory of God. You do that so that others might also be saved. You do that so that others might be encouraged in the suffering that is going on in their life. Mm-hmm. And this is a it's not a it's not a receiving it's a it's a giving away and the only reason we want to be recognized is because we are ambassadors of Christ we want them to see us so that they can see him mm-hmm. sorry it took me a while to to kind of uh, yeah, understand no, I mean, the question but it was a it was a difficult question it i'm glad you answered it though because it started off as a rhetorical one it was kind of a rhetorical question, but you did well in answering it. Like I didn't realize when I, as I was asking it, that it was intended to be a rhetorical question. But you answered it, and you did it well. So thank you Amen. for that, Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, and and kind of uh, maintaining that that train of thought, or sticking with that train of thought, that how we essentially bounce past to God whenever we get the recognition or honor for anything in the process of, like I said, like bounce passing to God, ascribing that glory to him of which he's completely worthy of. Um, it gives us our identity. Yeah. 
because Paul says like at the end of verse three, if I, if, if I don't have love, then it profits me nothing. So in the process of serving others, loving on others, you know, bounce passing to like other people, the, the service that you are rendering to them, that's what gives you your identity. Your identity is, is based off of the person of Christ who serves the most. Yeah. So it actually like emboldens you and in, invigorates you to to continue serving yeah. like as you're in the process of doing it. Well, we, and we see in God's word, it's better to give than receive. And at first glance, you're like, are you sure? Mm-hmm. But like you and I know, and anybody listening knows that when we've sought after things for ourselves, we always want more. Yeah. I was just having that conversation with an unbelieving family member. And I was able to talk about King Solomon. Mm-hmm. That, you know, this, this man was rich beyond belief. He had all that the world had to offer. And yet, in the end, he says, vanity, vanity. It's all vanity. What is, what is gaining everything if, if you lose your soul? Mm-hmm. And that the act of giving gives you the fullness of joy in Christ. But then we, when, we, when we seek after our own, we're always left empty. Yeah. And we see God and his word, it seems counterintuitive to just our normal thought process, right? We're called to a life of sacrifice, yet he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's counterintuitive, mm-hmm. but when we trust God and his promises, right, to give is better to receive. Even though it's counterintuitive, we trust him with these things. You feel the the weight of the blessing, that fullness of joy that you only get in giving. Yeah. Yeah, and I that, that reminds me of um, a quote I have here by Elizabeth Elliot, where she says, the measure of our love is the measure of our willingness to be inconvenienced. So the more we are willing to be inconvenien- in, inconvenienced by the people around us, even our enemies, the more like we are willing to experience that that discomfort of being inconvenienced it's a direct correlation to how much we are how how much we are willing to love and i can't help but think about how we're so quick to call something or someone annoying like oh that's annoying like i don't like my little brother because he's annoying mm-hmm. like well why is everything annoying why is everything so annoying to you and the reason for that is because you don't like being inconvenienced you don't like your little brother bugging you because it's inconveniencing you. He's yeah. a, he's bothersome. He's yeah. annoying to you. But what if, what if you leave what you're doing and you genuinely are there for him? Can you imagine the weight of that type of love that fills you? Especially, mm. uh, uh, like, especially if it's motivated by the service of Christ. Yeah. What if like he goes through to into your room and is like to kind of maintain the analogy, what if he goes into your room and he's bugging you for something? Like let's just say you're a teenager and your kid brother doesn't like can't drive, but you can. And he wants to go to the park. And you're like, "No, get away from me. You're annoying." What if instead you leave what you're doing? Usually it's something unimportant. Yeah. 
you leave that level of comfort and you think to yourself, God, I'm going to take some time out of my day, out of what I'm doing, because I'm not doing anything important to serve and be with my little brother. Can you please, right now, I have the spirit of, of annoyance, of irritation, but I don't want that, Lord, because I know that's not what you want from me or my relationship with me and my brother, between me and my brother. And so I need you to bless my heart right now in serving him. Yeah. Can you imagine what that'll do in your heart, let alone his? Yeah. And what that'll do going forward in your guys' relationship? Like, I feel like we sometimes under-spiritualize things and we don't like, I feel like that's a perfect example of praying without ceasing in the most mundane encounter with your little brother. What if you just prayed that type of prayer? Yeah. Like that would, that would shift so much in the right direction because now you're getting it. Now you're getting what Jesus had to go through when, when we would, when the disciples asked him these questions like, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Yeah. And the beautiful thing about that is that he didn't discredit their desire to be great. He didn't say, hey, you shouldn't be great, actually. He actually flipped it and, and redirected their ambition yeah. to be ambitious about the things of, of God. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what I was trying to ask. Like, we're ambitious of all these other things or for all of these other things. Why not love? Let us be recognized by love yeah. or, and, and service. Like, now that sibling, let's just say they, that those two have other siblings. Now that sibling is going to be seen as the one who wants to take me to the park, the yeah. one who's willing to take me to the park. Now I, 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 me as a little brother, I'm going to be more receptive and more understanding when that sibling says, actually, I can't right now. Yeah. I need to do my homework. We can go some other time. Do you think the little brother is going to be like, mom, so-and-so doesn't want to take me to the park. It's like, no, I understand that she will if she's able, but right now she's not able. Yeah. Anyway, that was kind of a tangent, but. No, it, yeah, it just dawned on me too, as you were saying that, that when we are denying ourselves, our selfishness mm-hmm. to love others, they may seem small, but we are sharing in Christ's sufferings. Like I, it came to mind that, that even Jesus, before he was crucified, asked if that cup would be passed, mm-hmm. if he could, if there was any other way. I thought, isn't it interesting that God asks essentially himself if there was any other way and that he denied his fleshly desire to not go through pain? but knew that it was the Father's will for him to do that because it was needful for us. And then we see, and the, the address of this in Scripture is escaping me, but Paul says, and my sufferings are for your glory. Mm-hmm. Like, my sufferings are needful for you to live um, a life of blessing, a life of imitating Christ, a life of sacrifice as me so that you can continue to uh, continue to impart that glory on others, yeah. Because, because ultimately we're storing up our treasures in heaven, and that's why here 
he actually doesn't say it means nothing. It says, I I am nothing. Right. Like Yeah, that's a good point. He says, I gain nothing. And so it's actually cool because there is a part that we are there is a there is a part in which we do this for ourselves, but we're storing up our riches in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so Christ is going to be glorified through these gifts, through all that we do, whether it's whether our heart is intended to glorify him or not. There is an aspect in which he's saying, this doesn't help me live a life of fullness of joy when I'm not loving others. And yet, you are robbing others of the power of that love too. But it's I think it's interesting. I think that he's pointing to like, hey, we we are allowed to want to receive the fullness of our inheritance, mm-hmm. you know, in the kingdom of heaven. When you hear like, oh, I'm serving for you, but guess what? I, like, I'm also doing it for me. Yeah. Like that sounds wrong. It does. But it's true. But it's, yeah. And they're, because it's God's love, because it's, because it's a God's word, it's, co- they work, they're cohesive. Yeah. They work hand in hand. To, to want to store up your riches in heaven as God commands us does not rob anything from the fullness of our our sacrificial loving. Yeah, it's not a bait and switch. Right. Like, I'm not trying to fool you. I'm not trying to deceive you. I'm actually telling you straight up, like, I'm doing this for you because I'm motivated by the love of Christ, also knowing that I'm going to receive riches in heaven yeah. for it. Like, I'm doing it in honor of God for your benefit too. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you you mentioned it at the end of verse 12, or at the end of verse two, he says, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So it's actually part of my identity yeah. to love you in this way. Yeah. And if you're denying it, like you're actually robbing me of something too. Yeah. In this, with it cloaked as almost like a false humility, like, no, I don't need anyone to do anything for me. Or like, no, I don't, like, don't inconvenience yourself to do that. Yeah. When in reality, like, it's an act of service. Like, don't deny me my service to the Lord in doing this for you. Yeah. And it reminds me of something I overheard Josh, Josh Camper say to someone else, where if you think of the word intimacy, he, he was emphasizing the word. He was like, intimacy is allowing others to see you for who you truly are. Like, if you think of the word, he says, intimacy is into me you see. Hmm. <laughs> You're seen into me. I like that. You're seeing me for who I, who, who I truly am. And when we experience in- intimacy with the Lord, that's how he's welcoming us into himself. When we have beautiful fellowship, and this is what I think, in my opinion, people are robbing themselves from or robbing themselves of when they don't partake in the Southern Sunday gathering. Yeah. If you're not going to church, you're missing out on this. Yeah. You're missing out on the intimacy and in the fellowship that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ, but also with God. Yeah. He's essentially saying like, I need you to enjoy intimacy with me because that is how you get to know me better. Yeah. Like into me, you see. Yeah. And I was like, oh man, I didn't tell him this, but I was like, that's a good one. I'm saving that. Yeah. It's important for me to mention too, like 
he says I gain nothing, and I don't want to. I don't want it to sound like like you're the only one who doesn't gain anything. Um, yeah. I'm Christ will still be glorified, of course. Uh, even in, and uh, we we've gone talked about this a lot in Philippians. It says w- whether of a goodwill or selfish ambition, Christ is preached, and mm-hmm. I rejoice. Christ is preached. Paul saying, you know whether whether the preacher gets up on Sunday morning or whether I do this podcast uh, out of a look at me attitude, like I can speak eloquently on these things or my genuine heart is, no, I want people to know the love of Christ because somebody listening to this might not understand that they're loved and they're hurting. And I want them to know that, that God loves you. He says that he loves you the same way that he loves his son. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Think about that. But at the same time, this is about the body of Christ. These gifts are used to edify the body of Christ, right? So if we forsake coming on Sunday, dude, you're not bringing what's needful. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. You're not bringing what's needful for other people to be encouraged uh, to give somebody the hug they need, mm-hmm. the words of encouragement that they need. Yeah, to be able to take the weight off somebody who's feeling burdened, you know. Right. Um, to talk to the homeless guy who's who's walked away from the Lord for a, like a decade, you know, uh, and he he needs to hear the words that are coming out of you because it's the Holy Spirit that's giving him the words that God wants him to hear. And so when we don't love and we try to use these gifts, love is that one ingredient that causes these gifts to become uh, selfish ambitions. Yeah. If you take if you take it away, love. I was thinking about I honest, I thought about this earlier, although it's a kind of a poor example. If you think about a bu- a bullet, the shell casing, it has gunpowder in it, mm-hmm. and the gifts are the gunpowder, but the love is the is the shell. And so it's a bad example because shooting somebody's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but if you think about shooting a target. If you fire that gun and it's just gunpowder, it's going to blow up in mm. your face. But if if it has the casing around it, love is the what encapsulates that gift to pierce the target. Mm. And that's when it's bec- we, it becomes effective. And that's when unity is brought uh, to the body of Christ. And I sometimes forget to think that the body... I forget to think of the physical aspects, like as an example of the human body and how everything in our body is working together yeah. to accomplish every purpose. And it's like, imagine a mangled body if you're missing limbs and missing your eyes and your ears. Like, mm-hmm. how much is it, how much harder is it to go about living? Yeah. If you're afraid, if you're listening to this and you're afraid to kind of take that step to put yourself out there to experience that type of love, whether you, whether it's because you've been church hurt or you don't know how to, like what, what came to mind is something I have written here, uh, a quote by GK Chesterton, where actually not GK, um, CS Lewis. He says, God allows, God always allows us to feel the frailty of human love. So we'll appreciate 
so we'll appreciate the strength of His. So He always allows us to feel the frailty of human love, so we'll appreciate the strength of His. So, yes, humans are flawed. Yes, even regenerate Christians are flawed. But even within that love that you appreciate or don't appreciate, it should be a direct contact to the love of God that was shown on the cross. Like in the human way to fail at loving the way we should. That points us to the love of God that will never fail. And even the love that we succeed at points us to the depths of the love of God in Christ. Like even in our failures, it points to points us to the love of God. And in our in our successes, it points us to the love of God. Because in the success, in the successful demonstration of Christ-like love, it points us to God and shows us like, oh my goodness, your love is so much better than I expected. And then in the failures, it's like, God, I know that they're trying and they're failing miserably, miserably, but your love will keep me going. Yeah. I know that your love is not their love because yours is better and yours is perfect. And a perfect love casts out all fear. Yeah. And so let me not fear entering into those spaces again because your love is in me. Yeah. Amen, bro. Amen, bro. Let's go down to the list. Drop this microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go down to the list. Let's move on. Verses four through seven. Here is the, the beloved list of what love is. Love is patient, kind, not jealous. It does not brag, is not arrogant. It does not act uh, unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked and does not take in, it, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in righteousness and unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, obviously, we all fail at loving in this way. But one thing that I like to do sometimes is put my name in there. If I'm called to love like Christ, then I should be able to put my name in place of the word love in this list and feel okay about it or feel convicted about it and how I need to be better. Have right? you ever felt okay about doing no, it? No, no. <laughs> it's hard to get through the whole thing. It's hard to get through the whole thing, but that that's kind of the point. Yeah. Right? Like convicting. Chris is patient. Chris is kind, is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant. Like I'm just sinking in my seat yeah you know as i as you read that but it does two things it shows you how much you fall short and it shows you how much you need the love of god yeah to do these things because he he is our standard we love because he first loved us like we don't figure these things out on our own like i love carolyn in a way that God loved me intentionally, like without, without keeping a record of wrong, like that wrong was done away with. And so now I'm moving forward because I have meditated on the love of God for me. And so now I'm able to love Carolyn as ferociously as possible. Yeah. Because God did that for me first. 
I don't make up these definitions on my own. I'm not this loving because I'm just a great human being. Yeah. And most of the time, unbelievers who are great at loving have watched other people be loving. Yeah. Yeah. The world adopts attributes from Christ's love. Yeah. Yep. And we see it in movies. Like the, the greatest love that we ever see in movies is a sacrificial one. Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's necessary. If you haven't tried it, if you're listening and, you've, and you haven't tried it, try it out. Put your name in there. You know, Adam is patient. Adam is kind is not jealous. Carolyn is patient. Carolyn is like, it's, it's something that we need to do because it points us to Jesus. It puts us face to face with the cross because that's where true love was shown in the giving of not just a thing, but a person. Yeah. He gave his son so that we may have this hope and so that we may be able to look back at that demonstration of love and have it infiltrate all of our little comfortable spaces in our home. Like when we feel okay and secure behind closed doors. Yeah. You know, my dad or or my father-in-law isn't going to hear me speak to Carolyn in this way. Right? Like I feel like I feel secure in this little pocket yeah. of, of false security. Mm-hmm. But when when I, I put myself in in this in this passage, I know how much I fall short. Right. And it actually motivates me to correct myself, to embrace God's grace for me, that he didn't just smite me right then and there when I, when I was kind of rude to Carolyn, or even just, even to my daughter. Because yes, you can still be rude to your children. Right. Even if they, they, they don't can't, talk. Even if they don't talk. <laughs> Right? She's not going to know if I was being rude to her, but God knows. Yeah. And God in his spirit like convicts me to know like, hey, that wasn't right. Like you shouldn't have responded that way. Like that's kind of rude. Like, yes, yeah, she's a child, but you're my child too. Yeah. I, don't, I don't react like that with you. Dang, I'm feeling convicted right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what it means to have a childlike faith. Yeah. And you gain nothing. I gain nothing. Yeah. I just thought too, like what we gain when we imitate Christ is like such, is the source of joy. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, bro, but at the end of the day when I'm like, there's never a day where I'm just like, I acted like Jesus yeah. all day today. <laughs> but when I look back to the moments where I'm like, man, Lord, I, I hope that I, I feel like I look like you there. Like, oh, I man. feel that was like, that I was like you. Like, I hope you're proud of me or smiling down on me. My, I have a relationship with my dad where I was always wanting my dad to be proud of me. And my dad, in so many ways, was a great dad. But he also was, he was really hard on me and probably doesn't know the, the fullness of, how empty I felt without like him affirming that he was proud of me mm-hmm. and sometimes being super uh, hard on your kids. And I'll just say, cause I know the, the, the father and the son relationship, you feel like you're falling short when you're not doing all the things that you feel like amounts to like worthiness. 
Yeah. And so I still have that very, very much so that picture of like wanting my dad to be proud of me. Mm -hmm. And it took me a while to realize that it was okay to mess up and that not to feel that sense of worthlessness in God's sight. Yeah. And honestly, it's so awesome to, there's no condemnation in Christ. There's conviction, but that's because that's because dad wants us to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, our father in heaven wants us to be better. But, you know, when he's not mad at you and he just says, you know, that's that's not how I would do it, boy. Yeah. But let me show you a better way. And he's constantly doing that. And I just like, I love the days where I'm just like, man, I think I acted like my my dad in heaven, my father in heaven. I acted like Jesus, mm-hmm. you know today yeah in that way and it's just like dude that is my i live for that yeah as a christian how can i go from wanting everything the world had to offer to living to be like jesus how does that change in your heart that is only a work of god nobody nobody commits to changing their life to something that is not self seeking yeah not like radically like that i forgot i feel like i was making a point there i forgot what i was we were talking about the the father and and the child dude i don't i don't care if you were like that was good either way (laughs) yeah going back to a phrase that you said at the beginning where you were like i feel like i look like you today i feel like i like are you proud of me I feel like that is a true mark of maturity. Like if you want to know if you're a mature Christian, are you asking yourself those types of questions at the end of the day? Speaking of the end of the day, school's over. (laughs) School's over. (laughs) And it is actually when school's out. But I think we should be asking ourselves more of those questions. Not like you said, not in a condemning way, not in a condemning way, but in a convicting way. Because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Why shouldn't we aspire to look more like our Father? And if you think about it, that stage as teenagers, where we think we don't want to look anything like our parents, mm. is actually where we look the most immature. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually where there's the most tension between parents and, and their children in those teenage years. You're going to use that in class. I don't know if I will remember it, but <laughs> it's, it's being recorded. Yeah. That's actually where we find the most tension because the, the teenagers want much more freedom than they're getting because they think that they're, they're ready for it. And they're like wanting, they're wanting so bad not all of them obviously but they're wanting so bad to be autonomous to have their own freedom because they think they're ready for the world and in the effort to scratch their way out of the door of the home they actually look the most immature yeah while the 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 parents on the other hand are like are trying to impart this wisdom that they're not ready for yet 
And yes, parents do fail in not in not allowing their teenagers to have necessary freedoms that they, you know, to be honest, deserve. But there is a level of of holding back. Like you're not ready for this yet. Because I like there's some fruit there that I need to see before you get this type of freedom. But the moment, the moment the teenager realizes that they actually do want to be more like their parents. Obviously, if they're, go- if they're godly attributes, if they're good witnesses, if they're good like living testimonies of the love of God, a teenager matures the moment they begin to want to look like their godly parents. Yeah. And they're not scratching their way out of the door, but they're actually like, you know what? I'm going to stay a little longer because I need this wisdom from my parents. If I'm a woman, I need to know what it's like to love a man like my mom loves my dad. That's the type of man that I should look for as, as, as much as you don't want to admit it at the time. And as a, as a boy, you're like, I want to love a woman like my dad loves my mom. I want to lead my home in the way that my dad has led me and my siblings or my mom. I want to be able to leave my day at the door and love my family no matter how tired I am. It's noble. Yeah. I think the moment someone who is immature, not in a derogatory way, but just immature, you're just immature. There are immature Christians out there that have been saved for decades. But I think that comes when you have a godly gratitude for what you've been through and what God has brought you through. Sorry, I, I got to interrupt you because you, Pastor Dave often says a uh, phrase about uh, those who those who have been forgiven much love much. Yeah. And you talked about having gratitude for what you've been through. Mm-hmm. And then I started thinking about the maturity, right? I was in middle school, middle school ministry with Pastor Brent and man, I just... I'm sitting there with, you know, 12-year-olds, Max. Max, 12 years old. And and he is going through Ephesians, Ephesians 2. And by the end of him speaking on behalf of God's love for us, he, sa- he said, and these are just things that you're not going to really understand at 12. Hmm. Which... I was thinking to myself, I was putting myself in the shoes of a, of a 12 year old there too. And I was like, wow, I'm not sure if they are grasping this, you know, definitely not the fullness of it. Right. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably not, I'm definitely not grasping the fullness of this because we don't grasp the fullness of God's love. But, and I just thought it was funny too, because he's like, everything I just told you, you will not understand. <laughs> you know, like it almost had that. Yeah. I feel like that would motivate you too. Right. Like, like you know what? Can you can you run that back yeah. again? Yeah. But he said, but then he included me in the picture too, mm-hmm. which I can I can attest is true to some standard. He said, but you will understand at 25 and you will understand at 30 and 35. And so I kind of wanted to ask you, Having gratitude for what you've been through, there's this, is there this uh, 
relativity between having gone through difficult life experiences and understanding God's love. So like going through suffering, is that is that relative to the amount of God's love that you understand? Because we see this picture of sacrificial love, this uh, sharing in Christ's sufferings. Are those two like pretty exclusively tied to one another? I think it depends on how you see it. I think it's a perception thing. Because if you see your suffering as God placing his thumb on you, not wanting you to have any type of freedom, not wanting you to prosper, not wanting you to have or feel like you have a future or hope, then you're not going to be grateful for anything, any of it. Although you may be experiencing incredible suffering, right? Yeah. Someone who has had one trial in their entire life, a significant trial, and is abundantly grateful for it, right? will be a much more mature Christian than the person who just feels like God is out to get them. So I think it's a perception thing. If, totally. you don't, if you don't see your suffering as something that draws you closer to Christ and as a grace, like as a grace to you, then, then you, won't, you won't mature. So I think, to answer your question, I think, I think there is a correlation uh, between both of them but it's only if you see it the way that the Bible explains it. Mm. Otherwise, you're just, you're going to be running yourself into the ground yeah. trying to fight God on what he's actually giving you to make him more, to make you more like him. Yeah. I'm glad I left it unintentionally vague because it's good to see that perspective, right? If someone goes through a lifetime of sufferings but doesn't look up to God, then that suffering is in vain. Mm-hmm. I guess I would have put a, a like a barrier wall on, given that you are going to love as a result of your sufferings. Do you think that the more suffering you go through is a lot is allowing you to fall more in love with Christ and therefore more in love with the body of Christ, your brothers and sisters? Yeah, and I think Jesus even has an encounter like that, right? I can't remember where it is or the the specific details of this story but two people are forgiven i think it was the i think it's a parable of 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 a particular debt like if if i if i pardon someone who has an enormous debt as opposed to pardoning someone who has a small debt who do you think is going to love more who do you think is going to appreciate the pardon more? Mm. The one who's been forgiven of a of a of a bigger debt. Yeah. And so I think in in that line of thought, I think to answer that that thought or that question, of course. Yeah. Of course it's going to it's going to make a difference because I have all of this background experience on suffering. And of it, like all of those years and years of suffering have, have actually grafted me and have molded me to, be, to become more like Jesus as opposed to this person who has had one and still sees it as something that makes him more like Jesus. But the more it happens, the more you're able to formulate what's happening to you. 
yeah, like this is actually something that draws me closer to God. And although it may be grim, morbid, horrible, God is still working all things for the good. Yeah. It's cool too, because I think about Paul. He says that of all sinners, that he's the worst. I was mm-hmm. thinking about this the other day. Did he, is that like a revelation? Like, did he know that? Did he know like, I am the worst? Or was he just like, is that just like, and maybe it's, maybe it can mean both. Or is it when we really see our own sin, we're just like, wow. Like, does, does Paul know that? Does mm-hmm. he know like he is the worst? Or is it that like, when we just see how wretched we were before God saved us and paid the debt for our sin, can we all kind of be like, have that moment where we're just like, I am so bad. Mm-hmm. There's so much darkness that was within me. Like, I'm the worst. Because I felt at some points like, just remembering, and it's almost hard to, and like fully at this point, but just remembering how evil and wicked my thoughts were, yeah, before I was saved, and just thinking like, there's no way that these people around me are as bad as I am, and I, I don't think that's unique to me. I think a lot of people have expressed feeling that way. Yeah, and I, again, I think it's a perspective yeah. thing because yes, in the same vein. Paul can say, I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah. But in the same breath, he can also say, I am the greatest of the apostles. For sure. By God's grace. By God's grace. Yeah. By God's, by God's grace, I am what I am. Yeah. And it's cool to see, right? Because my thought was incomplete in the, in the point. Mm-hmm. The point was either Paul knew that he was the worst, he was the chief sinner of all sinners, or he felt that way because he he knew how much he was forgiven from. Mm-hmm. That was a call to action, which was ultimately the proof of his love for God. Because whether he knew for sure he was the chief sinner or he was so aware of what God saved him from, it moved him to go to such great lengths for the glory of God. Yeah. To the point where he is like the example for us to follow. Mm-hmm. He he is the one who says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And I think it, we have to recognize what God has saved us from. Or if, if someone listening to this is not a believer, to know what God says about us before we know him, before we come to faith in him. And that is that all have fallen short of the glory of God. And that our entire lives before we knew God were was darkness. Ephesians Ephesians 5. Mm-hmm. We were once darkness. We weren't once in darkness. We were once darkness. Right. Yeah, and I think it was that moment for Paul where he grew up to kind of finish to kind of close out this episode. I just want to finish with that like in verse 11, he says when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish, childish things, childish things. And I'll just say the other two verses. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know 
fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. For Paul, yes, he may have understood that he was a chief of sinners, but the moment he was able to recognize God's grace and be able to say, you know what, by God's grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am an apostle. I am, I am rightfully due the rights of, the apostle, of any apostle. But it was because of God's grace. And the moment he was able to have that shift, I don't know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. But the moment that shift happened is when he became a man. Yeah. It may have happened at his, at his uh, conversion. It may, have, it may have happened after all of his trials. But regardless of when, it indeed happened. And I, I feel like for us, the moment we have that shift of, oh God, I am so horrible. I have all of these wretched thoughts. I am, I am scum. I am a worm. The moment we're able to sit with that and then be able to say, you know what? Although I was and I am a sinner, Lord, you redeemed me. And now I'm going to walk in that. Because if we stay in that, if we stay in that, like, I'm pitiful, wretched, poor, blind, and naked forever, you kind of get what you pay for. Yeah. You're going to sit with those, you're going to sh- sit with shame. I almost said a bad word right there. <laughs> you're going to sit with that shame for as long as you have that, as long as you keep that attitude. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't see ourselves as sinners, but like we are redeemed saints. Yeah. We're redeemed sinners making us saints. And we are, we are, in union with christ yeah and so if we're in union with christ if we are seated if we are seated in the heavenly places with him right now as we speak why are we going to look at ourselves in that why are we going to stay in that why are we going to stay in that perspective it's causing us more harm than good and i've seen people just sit in their shame forever yeah although they may be believers they're still just there yeah ashamed feeling unworthy not looking to the cross and being like, you know what? Like I have been loved yeah. so deeply. How dare I stay in this? And I think when we have that shift, it's a monumental one. Yeah. That's when we become, we, we become men. Yeah. We become God-fearing women and we're not children anymore. And we begin, and, and like Paul says, like right now we see dimly. But when we're fully known, that's going to be something. I was thinking about that dimly comment because I, I wanted to talk on those last verses. But also to your point, uh, Paul grew up. And it's not just understanding what the, the way that you can almost, the way that I was describing the sense of knowing what God has saved you from, mm-hmm. being forgiven. I was thinking from from being saved with the knowledge of being saved and going like almost looking at it backwards like this is all he saved me from. Yeah. But to know how great of a salvation is to await us increases increases that. Mm-hmm. And that I think we're we see dimly because not only do we not know how much to the extent we've been forgiven, but we also don't know the eternal weight of glory that is to come. And I think Paul, 
he started to under he started to see it from both directions he's like more and more do i see what god saved me from because i know what he's given me what he's what he's given me and what he's going to give me yeah. for all of eternity and also to your point uh his comment i don't want to misquote it i am the greatest of all apostles mm-hmm. but by god's grace knowing that it's from god but I think that's important to note too that when we walk in love and when we understand our position in Christ, that encourages us and emboldens us to feel the sense of, okay, when when we're hit with that I'm unworthy feeling, to know like, no, uh, God does have me here and he has uh, entrusted me with these things because we are we're often fearful. Yeah. We're afraid to step out into what God's called us to do, which is ultimately to to love him. Yeah. And to not forsake to not going back to our passage, which at this point I'm not sure how much we've gone into all kinds of other things, but not to let these gifts become something of selfish ambition. Yeah. But to use them in sacrificial giving love. Yeah. Amen, bro. In Second Corinthians Second Corinthians eleven, he says, For I have considered myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. And I'm sure there are other other passages, but I think that's where he yeah, he grew up. When he was able to recognize what God had brought him from and recognize what he's bringing him to. Even just a little glimpse. And he did give him a glimpse, right? He was caught, I mean, I don't know if it's referring to Paul, but this person was caught up to the third heaven and he saw, like he saw what was in store, even if it was just a glimpse. I think that was Peter. Was it Peter? Are you sure? No. I feel like it was Paul. I feel like that was the reason why he received a thorn in this flesh, so that he wouldn't be boastful. Mm. Anyway, um, I think the principle of the matter still applies that when we begin to see that for what it truly is like where god brought us from and where he's bringing us to and we have a a good balance of both that is how we are able to love in a much more profound way because it's 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 a it's a humble way and when we recognize and in that all all of that recognition We understand that God has gifted us something, and that is the power to love in a way that the world doesn't. And so let's let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. But really, let's do that. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, bro. What a blessing. That was fun. What a blessing. I could talk about that for all eternity. For all eternity. Let's. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to know more about the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter. If you listen on Spotify, make sure you follow, click the bell icon to get notifications from new episodes. And if you truly enjoy this content and want to go the extra mile to support us, become a subscriber for only $4.99 a month and you will get exclusive access to subscriber-only episodes. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, it would be awesome if you could rate and review the show if you haven't already. Thank you all for listening. I'm your host, Chris Ramirez. And I'm Adam Tarasas. Grace and peace, family.